Good morning, City Life Church. Chris Pate, the lead pastor here. So excited to have you with us, whether you're on Facebook, on YouTube, on our online church platform, wherever you are. We have people there ready to receive prayer requests, ready to talk, continue to chat, as hopefully you have been doing this whole time. Maybe get a little amen every once in a while, high five, some kind of thing. Keep, keep moving. We like it when you talk. I like it when you talk to us. So talk to us, even during the message. Don't be afraid. Be thinking about some questions, because we'll, be, of course, be doing our Beyond the Sermon right after this. And so so we want to be able to help you as much as possible. We're praying for everyone. We're praying for those that are on the front lines in the medical community, those that are continuing to work, and those that are out of work. We just want you to know that we're continuing to pray with you. And so please, please, please keep bringing in the prayer requests. We want to be here for you. We are on part three of our Journey to the Cross series. Now, to remind you, in case you don't even remember what day it is, it's Sunday morning, and this is one of our three services right now, and we are going through this series that just seems so applicable right now. As I was reading through the book of John that we're going through right now, we're gonna be in John 12 and catch up from last week where we ended at about verse 36. We're actually gonna backtrack a little bit today. I'm gonna read through the scripture. And, and it's just so appropriate right now for everything we're going through as we're thinking about Jesus journeying on his way to the cross. He's literally right now in the shadow of the cross and he knows his impending doom and where he's heading. And so to see how he reacts, to see the words that he brings is so powerful. And especially for this time right now, for us where we don't know what's going on, we're in the in-between and all the things that we're struggling with right now. This is such a great series for us, and I hope you're able to dive in the word with us through our starter as well as our journey groups. Let's read the passage together. Here we go. We're going to start John 12. We're going to start actually in verse 35, and it says this. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, 
Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. There's so much in this passage. And I want to highlight a few things, especially that we see right at the beginning. I'm going to give you about four points that we're going to look at today in this passage. And I'm going to give you the first one right now, and then we're going to dive right back in the beginning of this word. The first thing I want you to notice is Jesus says, the light reveals truth and justice. The light reveals truth and justice. Justice. Jesus starts everything with this profound picture of who he is. And it's this idea of light, capital L, like I am the light. And he wants everyone to be little lights, but he says, I am the light. And what you need to understand from his perspective and from their perspective, yes, they had oil, yes, they could make fire, but their main source of light, they didn't have as much artificial light through electricity that we do. Their main source of light was the sun. He wasn't saying worship the sun or I am the sun, S-U-N, but he was using this metaphor that he liked to use a lot when he referred to himself, when he referred to truth, when he referred to morality and right. And so he comes and he says, I am light. Now I want us to get this picture of light because even from the beginning in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter one and two, as God is hovering over the waters, the first thing he says, let there be light. Because see, this light reveals certain things and it also shows us other things. It shows us good and bad. And, and, and I want you to get this picture of light because I think it's so important to understand as Jesus uses this word and this metaphor to understand the rest of what he is trying to say. So verse 35, he says, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. While, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He says, I am here. I've come to light the pathway. I've come to show you the light. This idea of light even is in the term revelation, revealing something. And so light is both telling and terrifying. If you think of, I know I have teenagers at home, and so if I go into their room, especially when it's time to get up and go to school, I go to their room, it's super dark when I have to wake Addison up to go to high school, and I will turn on that light, and he, he, he hates that light right away because it's revealing something to him, but it's also now terrifying. It's revealing it's time to go, it's time to move, it's time to wake up, but it's terrifying because it hurts 
That light is so bright. That truth is so bright. Now, while you're in the light for a little bit, it might not seem so bright. But the longer you're in darkness and without light, even just a little bit of light can be blinding, can hurt. Much less if a great light comes and shines, it is literally going to blind you. And the scripture from the past even shows us in the book of Exodus where Moses spends time with God on the mountain and he comes down the mountain and it says his whole face was lit up and like glory of the Lord was on his face. So much so it blinded the people and he had to wear this veil. uh, It also makes me think about in the New Testament when Paul is persecuting Christians and walking in darkness even though he thought it was light and he was doing good works. He was walking in darkness and how does Jesus come? He comes as a light and it blinds his eyes. And so we see here that Jesus says the light is among you. And this light, again, is both telling because it reveals stuff and it's terrifying if you've been in the dark. Like cockroaches, when the light comes on in the kitchen, if they scatter, first of all, get a bug guy. Second of all, it's revealing something. It's telling the truth. And Jesus brings this light and this truth to us. He continues and it says this, when Jesus had said these things, verse 36, he departed and hid himself from them. He says, I'm the light. And then he hides away. I think it's just interesting wording that John uses here. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. It's interesting that John would not say, though he did so many miracles, but signs. Why does he use the word signs? I think it's very telling. It's shedding light on what Jesus was doing. He's bringing healing. He's feeding. He's showing compassion. Why? Because he's revealing what God's nature is like. He's revealing the power of God. And he's showing everybody, pointing the sign to himself that I am the light. I am God. I am the one you are to be worshiping and listening to. And he my words. So he calls them signs because that's what those miracles were. Signs pointing to him as the Messiah. So let's continue and look at verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's this blinding light that that you could say God has blinded their eyes, not, I don't think, in a malicious way or to, to conceal something from them as much as when God shows up, when Isaiah sees his glory, it is so blinding compared to the darkness that we're living in. Right now, you could turn off all the lights. Maybe you want to do this. Pause the video. Turn off all the lights in your room right now. Your kids are right there. And all you're seeing is the little light from the screen that you're looking at. And it's amazing how our eyes shift and start to focus. And if you were to go have your kid, now turn the lights on. If you do that after a while, the longer you're in that darkness, the more blinding that light is, the more blinding that truth is because truth reveals so much continues to say in verse 39, therefore, they could not believe 
For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This is a good passage maybe to talk about uh, in our BTS time. There's plenty of questions. I can't go through all of the conversation about this, but I want to focus on this idea of light and that light reveals truth and justice. This is what the light does. Now, we in our society today, living in a very relativistic society, say truth is subjective. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And yet it's impossible to truly live that out. It sounds really good because we don't want to say there is a light, a main source that is actually the thing feeding and shedding light on everything. We like to say, I can have my truth, you can have yours. I've got my little light, you've got your little light. And yet Jesus crushes this and says, I am the light. He later says, or before this, I am the way, the truth. I am the life. And he makes these very dogmatic claims about who he is. And we've got to listen to his words, especially as he's appealing to us here. Don't harden your heart. Don't, don't be blinded, but you're gonna be blinded by this light. But don't allow yourself to start walk in faux, fake lighting. Jesus says, I am the light. Now, we need this light. This light later, he talks about a judgment day. And we're going to see, say, I didn't come to judge because his first round here, his first go is to save. But in the book of Revelation, it will say, now is the time. I've got a sword coming out of my mouth, fire out of my eyes. He will come to judge the living and the dead, the scripture does say. But right here, he's pleading, I didn't come right now, this time to bring judgment. But he does say there is a judgment that will come. There is a light that will reveal everything you've ever done, everything in your heart. And let me tell you, we actually need this light. We need this judgment day. You want this judgment day for others, if you really think about it. Those people that say, I don't, I don't want to believe in a judgment day. I'm just, just going to die. We're just going to move on. I don't want to believe that there's someone that is going to look down at me. Imagine like a courtroom where a judge is, he's always on this big wooden desk, this pedestal. He's never like I, I to you, but he is above you looking down, ready to pronounce a judgment on you. I know for myself, I've been in that courtroom before on behalf of someone else in the audience and watched as he had to have a specific way that he condemned the person or brought justice to that individual. And I'm telling you, if you're the one that justice is coming on, you don't want that light shed. You don't want that judgment. And yet, if you've ever had injustice happen to you, the prayer and the hope for you is that one day justice will prevail. And imagine you've been through so much. You've been through so much pain and turmoil against powers that are outside of you, that are greater than you, that have more money and more authority, and there's nothing you can do. The only thing you would know to do if you're experiencing injustice is to retaliate, take revenge, and we know that vicious cycle as you take revenge, someone else takes revenge, and we see that playing out in our world constantly. 
And yet you'll have people say, well, we just need to forgive and we need to move on. But I'm telling you, it is impossible to do this unless you believe that there will be a capital J judge, a capital L light that will shine and bring justice one day. In fact, a great theologian, philosopher, and author named Miroslav Volf um, says this in his thesis talking about why we actually crave and need justice. He says this, my thesis is that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. My thesis will be unpopular with many in the West, but imagine speaking to people as I have whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. Your point to them, we should not retaliate? Why not? What will ever keep them from retaliating? I say this. The only means of prohibiting violence by us is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. Violence thrives today secretly nourished by the belief that God refuses to take the sword. It takes the quiet of a suburb from the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence is a result of a God who refuses to judge. In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, that idea will invariably die. Like other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. What is he saying here? He's saying, We, if you've ever experienced any kind of injustice, pain, turmoil at the hands of people with greater power than you, and you felt powerless and you can't do anything. If we come to you and say, don't retaliate, it's not worth it because it's just this vicious cycle, what hope do you have? There's no judge at the end of the day. There's no ultimate light. Their truth is their truth. My truth is my truth. No, no, no. See, the idea of the light, the idea of judgment and revealing actually for that person is the thing that gives them life and gives them power, first of all, to be able to know at the end that person will give an account to a greater morality, to a greater light. That is the thing that actually makes us and it stains us from taking revenge. And so we need a light. We need a judge, even just for that, not to mention several other reasons. But secondly, not only does Jesus come as the light and reveal justice and truth, but he also helps us understand this, that we do not want light to shine on us. Like it's one thing to say, I want light and judgment to come on those people because of what they've done. But if I really look at myself and go in, I don't really want this. In fact, in John 12, let's go to 40 verse 41, it says this, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many Even of the authorities believed in him, that is Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved, here it is, the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You know, we know the scripture, John 3.16, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it continues, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then look what verse 18 says. Jesus says to Nicodemus, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here's what Jesus says. We really don't want this light to shine on us. There's gonna be a judgment day one day. We don't like to hear it. We want it, but we really don't. We want it for others, but we don't really want it for ourselves. Why? Because we know deep down that we are wrong. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you work, no matter how many times you help the old lady across the street or do something that seems so selfless as you post it on Instagram to show everybody how amazing you are, no matter what you do, at the end of the day, we know deep down we're not fulfilling the law, even that we provide for ourselves. I love what Francis Schaeffer, a great apologist and theologian, says this when talking about this idea of judgment, even if you said, you know what, I'm just going to be a really good person. And at the end of the day, God's going to weigh my good and my bad. I'm going to come out okay. And, and, and he says, well, it depends on what God is judging you on. And, and say you don't know the Ten Commandments. Say you don't know the gospel and the words of Jesus. Even if, Francis Schaeffer would say this, imagine God put a tape recorder, imagine a tape recorder around your neck. And every day it just recorded the things that you said and the things that you told other people they ought to do. In the injustices and the thing you cried out for, whether it's in your community, at your job, in your family, talking to your spouse, you shouldn't do that. And if God judged you just based on the things that you said you ought not to do, how would you turn out? See, at the end of the day, this is actually a very scary thought. And Francis Schaeffer says it so beautifully because we condemn and judge ourselves because we don't actually live up to the very practices that we must put on other people, that we ought to put on other people. We have this oughtness within us, this thing we should do, and yet we don't live up to it ourselves. And if God in the grand courtroom judged you just based on your own words, you couldn't withstand judgment. And at the end of the day, this is what Jesus proclaims and tells us. Here's the good news. And it's my third point. The light goes dark for us. You see, we don't want the light to expose us because we know what's in us. We know the recording of our words that will be judged one day, rightfully, justfully. But we have one who stands for us and becomes that darkness that we have been living in. We have the one, the light, capital L, that will go dark for us. This is actually Jesus' last public teaching, an outcry. 
Now, right after this, we're going to John 13, and this is where he's with his disciples, washing their feet, and it is more of an intimate, personal look at Jesus's last days with his disciples. And he opens up and reveals all sorts of new things to them that he hasn't said publicly up to this point. But John shows us the last thing, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever been able to, to be with someone on their deathbed, my stepmother, Janet, who passed away of cancer, she was able to speak into a camera to all her grandchildren, to all her kids, to my dad, and tell them kind of her last thoughts. And you know the last thing people are going to say is the most powerful, proud, profound thing that they can bring as they know they're heading into their death. Well, this is the last public thing Jesus says. And I want you to notice something. Verse 44 says this, and Jesus cried out and said. This is the actual third time we've seen Jesus cry. He cries at Lazarus' tomb right before he raises him from the dead. He weeps. The famous verse most of you should have memorized, Jesus wept. But we also see as soon as he arrives on that hill and he goes towards Jerusalem, even while the people are crying Hosanna, the first thing he does is this lament to Jerusalem. And it says he's blubbering, crying. In the midst of success and everybody praising him, he's crying. He's so different than any of us where we would just feel prideful and ready to go. He's crying on behalf of Jerusalem. And here, his final public teaching, I want you to get this. He's crying. He cries out. And this is the same word in the Greek, crying out of women that would cry out during birth pains. So there's a cry that goes forth. And here's the picture I want you to get. His last public statement to everybody. Imagine this. I, I sometimes, sometimes we read the scripture like it's stoic and he's just talking, whoever believes in me. Or maybe he's angry, but see, there's this mixture of emotion of crying out one last time for you to believe and come to the light and also just this pain. The picture I want you to have is like a husband crying out to his wife who has cheated on him or gone off on him. And he's, he's, he's got a mixture of anger and frustration, but he's crying out, pleading with her to come back because this is the picture of the gospel. This is the picture of God's relationship with man and women. He's not just mad at you, ready to judge. He's also compassionate enough to come and be judged. And Jesus' final cry, hear it like this. Verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Hear his plea. I came to save. I came to implore you, come back to God. Walk in the light. He says, Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, that judgment day, he says. Verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, 
what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. He's saying, I'm just delivering the news and I'm going to deliver my body for your salvation. Light is going to go dark for you. And I plead one last time, come back to the Father. Believe in the light. Isaiah, the prophet, we mentioned Isaiah 6, and though they'll hear, God has blinded their eyes. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah says, here's the future. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the glory of God and the light that's going to come. And this is some 700 years before what we just read, Jesus' final plea. Isaiah 53 says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, he's talking about Jesus, 700 years before. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse four, verse four. Surely he has borne our griefs and had carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Some 700 years before Jesus cries out his final plea to believe in him, Isaiah says who this light that's going to blind the world with his goodness and righteousness and light that he brings who this one is, and it's Jesus. He takes on the whip. He, the light, becomes dark for you and me. What an amazing God we serve. My last point, number four, is because of Jesus, we can now, today, Live in hope, humility, and holiness. What does this mean? We want a judge for our enemies, for those that have oppressed us. We don't want a judge to reveal our own oppression of others and our own injustice in our heart and how we've treated others. And yet there is a judge and that judge will one day not just stand with a gavel and declare you condemned, but one day will step down off and come down into the dock, look you square in the eyes and say, I will take on the punishment that you deserve. I will take on all of your sin and I will become that sin and iniquity. And what that does for us is it creates hope that that judgment came on Jesus so I don't ever have to experience that judgment. Now, the light cannot just reveal bad things but can reveal the way to righteousness and right living also according and completely to a relationship with God. 
The one who comes down and looks me face to face and takes it on. It gives me hope for the future, but also gives me humility for the future. So I not just go, I can do whatever I want. Uh, God took on my punishment, but because he took it on, now I want to live according to his way. I want to live according to his words so that that day he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a humility, not a pride and conceit that comes with walking with God, but a humility because it's him who took on that darkness for me. And now, as we say all the time, I follow and serve out of love, not for love, because I've been shown love. And finally, it leads me to holiness. This light now and this revelation, this light of who Jesus is, makes me want to live like him. If, if he lived the way he lived and was able to face death the way he was able to face death, I can face any death. I can face any circumstance today, whether it's a quarantine, whether it's having to go in the actual hospital and help those. I can face that because Jesus faced it for me and I can walk wholly set apart from everybody else because I have hope, because I have humility, and because I have holiness. Timothy Keller says it this way. Pastor Tim says, the Christian is someone who says, my judgment is behind me, which means I deserve to be punished. So I don't feel superior to anybody. Yet on the other hand, I realize there will be a judgment. So I can call you where I think you're wrong. I can oppose injustice, but not out of any vindictiveness, not out of any need to get after you, not out of any need to hold revenge simply because I have hope because the light became dark for me. I hope today as you're in your living room, maybe your kids are running around and whatever's going on with you, whatever fear, anxiety might be plaguing you, I hope this message today and the message of Jesus crying out in blubbering, please, draws you to him to say, I can do all things through Christ when I submit my life to Christ. I submit to his way and his light. Today, you can say, Lord, reveal to me as David. And the, the psalmist says, if there's any hidden thing in me, God, reveal it because I want to walk fully in light of who you are. Because here's the deal. You're exposed. God knows every thought, everything going on in your heart, every injustice against you and every injustice you have given. And yet Jesus took on that pain and that sin for you and me. So not that we can just have a get out of jail, get out of hell free card and just go to the by and by, but for you to live today with that hope. And as he said, be sons and daughters of light. Reveal that hope to others. Be able to walk with confidence, your head held high because you know God is for you and he loves you because he does and he showed it. Not just said it, but expressed it. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that you revealed to us in this book of John in this time that is so needed God, as we're looking at the pain and death and just a complete change in our life, God, you reveal what light is, God. You show us the plumb line so we know what crooked even looks like.
speak because we know what straight is, and that's you, God, the light, capital L. Thank you for coming and not just showing us the way and revealing light, but also, God, for taking on the darkness for us so that we never have to walk in the darkness alone and stumble and ultimately fall. We can walk in your light. Maybe today you don't have a relationship with God. You've never walked in that light. You've never trusted. You've never seen, hopefully, or maybe maybe you have, but maybe this is the first time you've never, you've just for the first time seen a God who cries out for you to have a relationship, to follow him. Not just coming with a hammer, but takes on the hammer and pleads for you to love and follow him because he shows his love to you. You can know him today. You can let one of our hosts know. We want to introduce you, help you know and grow in your relationship with God. We want to give you a free gift. We want to connect with you. So make sure, don't be alone. You can do this on your own. You could pray right now, but we want to pray with you and help you so that you can also receive the light as sons and daughters of light. We get to shed and reveal to continue to help us walk in all God has for us. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. So go ahead. Let us know how we can do so. Connect with us, please. And we're going to give you some next steps here in one second with Earl so that you can know exactly what to do to connect with community and connect with God and with us. Thank you. Thank you.